Welcome, everybody. We have a really special guest with us today, someone that you have not heard from before, and someone that is very protective about his life and his father's life and his information, because his father was none other than Colonel Philip Corso, uh, the author of The Day After Roswell, who was a decorated man in the U.S. military, and then later maligned by kind of shadowy forces regarding um, the information he put forth in the day after Roswell, which of course has to do with how the military um, responded to the crash in 1947. We're going to go into some of the lesser known parts of Philip Corso's story at speaking to his son, Philip Corso Jr. So without further ado, let's go to Philip. Philip, you told me on camera this might be your last interview and I just wanna thank you so much because I know you're very private uh, you, there are, there's always um, kind of intrigue swirling around you because of your father's work and the fact that both of you um, also are quite intuitive and have certain capabilities that aren't uh, the hallmark of most of humanity. So I want to start um, kind of at the beginning, the nuts and bolts part of your dad's story and then get in a bit to um, so, well, quite a bit into the lesser known aspects of your dad's life. But I thought we'd start out with what people already know in terms of his distinguished military background, leading up to General Trudeau giving him a filing cabinet with bits and bobs of this and that in 1961 saying, figure out what this stuff is. These were remnants of the crash from 1947. So please um, tell us, kind of string together his background and what kind of man he was first. Yes, my father's career, you might say, began when he was drafted. And he was in Carnarga Tech in Pittsburgh for two years. And he was drafted and he made 100% on the the test, so they separated him from the other draftees in the little town of California, Pennsylvania. California, Pennsylvania was mostly Italians. There were some other uh, Johnny Bulls, they called them up on the hill, English, but mostly all the dialects were there. My father had a photographic memory that uh, I have never even heard of anyone else having. For instance, if it was 50 years from now, he would tell me exactly what you had on, what you looked like, your medal, and so on. And I used to say to dad, tone it down. Other people can't understand that, you know. So uh, he was disappointed. So they took him separately and sent him to officer's candidate school in Alabama. And uh, my father met my mother there. And uh, I was a war baby, of course, you know. And uh, so then uh, he was sent to um, MI-16, I think, Cambridge University to learn intelligence. And the, my dad said the, uh, the officers there used to say, how green my ally after talking to him because he knew nothing. You know, uh, the British were quite, quite famous for their intelligence gathering. And uh, so there he went to General Patton in South Africa, and they came up. He was just a uh, lieutenant, I believe. And he came up, they came up through and invaded Sicily. Now, when they invaded Sicily, it became a little bit interesting. And we do have a book that I would love to see. It's called The Day After Rome. And it's a whole book, very colorful, a movie could be made out of it. And since dad spoke all the dialects, little funny story, one time in northern 
he's in a Jeep, northern uh, of Sicily. Uh, he sees a little boy standing on the corner, and then he points up to a town and asks the little boy in Sicilian direct, I'm from there. My parents were from there. So the little boy says, Momento, and runs up the hill and tells them. They come down in an ox cart, put my father in it, taken up, and the old matric of their, the old woman, the, uh, you might say the town uh, uh, leader, she says, oh, we have a story of a beautiful American coming, and he's going to save our town two times. My dad says, I'm dirty. I'm not, I'm not a beautiful soldier. Well, just, to, just so then it goes on to they invade, uh, they come into Sorrento Harbor. The ship in front gets blown up, the ship behind, my dad and all the soldiers are sleeping on deck, takes his helmet off the next day, and all his hair is gone. That's how frightened they were. So a general hears my dad speaking uh, the dialects to the captured soldiers. And he says, come here, son. You're now G2 of Rome, a general's job. And it makes a very colorful story. It involves two popes. He moved the first 3,000 Jews to Palestine, the first exodus. And he didn't lose a man, and he did it in three days. So very colorful. Then he goes on when he, after that, uh, he has a knife there and it's meat. He's the only American to ever be knighted by the King of Italy. And I have a picture of that, uh, of that medal. Very beautiful. So he then comes back to the United States, goes to Fort Rowley, Kansas. And in Fort Rowley, Kansas, he teaches, uh, uh, he teaches the courses to, of intelligence. Then from there, he goes to, uh, goes to the war in Korea. And in Korea, he uh, is MacArthur's number one intelligence officer, interrogates a thousand prisoners himself. And a little color, he's on the Pan Moon John Peace Talks. So from there, uh, and he gets, he gets the only Bronze Star ever given by the Air Force to an army officer because he he targeted he figured out targets that really almost put the end. When he when he was on the Pan Moon John, he says they would play psychological games and move a flag up an inch on the table the next day we'd move it an inch higher. But when dad walked in there and he knew that, it, that they knew that he had them. And he says it was just he pulled his glasses down, looked at them over, finished. And then he goes on to, of course, uh, he's a number one intelligence officer for President Eisenhower. And during the war, he carried the D-Day plans strapped to his list of handcuffs to Italy from, from, uh, um, from Eisenhower to Italy. He very good friends with Eisenhower like that. So he founded Colonel North's job. That was liaison between the chiefs of staff and the president. In other words, in those days, he carried the orders. He used to say that I was only a lieutenant colonel and I'd go to four-star generals and give them orders. He says, I wondered what would ever happen if they said no. I'm only <laughs> but he said it never happened. Yeah. So uh, then after that, he, we, he, he goes to Eisenhower and he says, I have to have a I'm tired of this desk job. I got to have a command. So Ike says, okay, take the first nukes to Europe. And he takes the first nuclear weapons 
to, to Europe. Uh, he figures out a way with his men to uh, bring the beam up where they could explode it over air with the missiles that they had at that time that were really not equipped for atomic weapons. And uh, from there, he becomes inspector general of the northern Germany. And then he comes back and he goes into a holding pattern until General Trudeau becomes head of research and development. Uh, Trudeau brings him in and says, Phil, are you ready? Let's go. He says, I'm having the cabinet delivered to you and you will know what to do with it because my father he was appointed head of uh, foreign research, foreign uh, investigation, uh, foreign material investigation. There it is. And when we're talking foreign, we're not talking about Russian or German. We're talking about foreign, off planet. Both. They didn't know what it was. Both. both. Yeah. It was also, uh, they took uh, Swiss machine guns and put them on mm -hmm. the helicopters. And so, so it was really foreign technology for Earth and out there. So, uh, a colorful story. We had a lot of scientists show up at the house. They said, well, we wondered, when he wrote the book, scientists showed up and they said, we wondered between 1960 and 63, something strange happened. The laser went from this size down to a pointer, you know, so on and so on and so on and so on. So they knew there was a tremendous advancement. Now, I must say this. My father was very down on the Air Force, not the Air Force, not uh, the, uh, the, the normal men, you know. He, he was very down on the, uh, uh, the commander, the, the um, what would you call it, the, uh, the general in charge. Force. <laughs> And he finally got relieved. But when he went to a book signing at Patrick's Air Force Base, uh, some colonels and generals and that came up to him and said, Corso, you're right on. I wish we could get the monkey off our back about this, about, you know, concealing everything because we can't tell our wives, we can't tell our children, so on and so on. Um, then my father retired from the Army, same time General Trudeau. They were going to be in charge of Vietnam instead of Westmoreland. And they advocated using the nuclear cannon on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Well, later on in life, I happened to meet a gentleman that says, what do you mean? It was used. I was right there. I've seen it. You know, so um, anyway, that's not so important as um, go on later on and um, Dad did quite a few things. He went, uh, I can remember I had a small electronic, um, marine electronic business, and Dad would stand up when Reagan would call him behind the desk in attention, you know. And uh, so he went to Reagan and he says, we need a planetary defense system, which is SDI. And my father, by the way, we visited uh, White Sands and the curator came out and almost fell over when he saw my dad and showed him the first dew weapon that they had developed during that time. And it's in the museum in White Sands, New Mexico. So my father was into the SDI helping to develop it for President Reagan. And it was a war against the aliens. They were literally raping our military bases. And what do you mean raping the military bases? They would come in and... Well, first of all, they would take back all of the, all of their crashed saucers, mm -hmm. Re remove them, take them mm -hmm. back. Okay, they would only remain here a short time. Most people don't know that, and they were also coming in and disarming nukes. And you've seen yes, 
Soviets and Russia and right. so on. Well, they were very embarrassed, especially the Air Force. Now, the only the only things my father had, the fiber optic integrated circuit, supranational fibers, it all came out of the Jeep. That's all that went into the Army. The rest of it went to the Air Force. Now, you say the Air Force kept it all. The My dad's stuff all went out to the world brain pool, you might say. And he used to tell them that they had first priority on it. Military had first priority, and then they could put it out to civilian Jews. So uh, at that time, uh, nobody knew, but you do know about Reagan in the UN saying if we would all unite if we had a uh, enemy come in from space. Well, we did have an enemy come from space. Russia did not fail. During, it was not a cold war. It was a hot war. They were on our side, believe it or not. We did space missions with them at that time, which you probably know, and such during the so-called Cold War. Yeah, now it ends up that that we put up the SDI, it stops most of this, and my father said, at that time, we are equal in technology to the to the others. Mm-hmm. But we're far behind in biology. Just just you know, almost ants compared to what they have in biology. Okay, let me insert a question here, just so we get to the technology that this story kind of uh, strongly features. So you already mentioned integrated circuits. There was also um, the night goggles, night vision goggles used in the military, and that was supposedly uh, back-engineered from the lens that was found over the eye of one of the aliens that was... Yes, held it up in the hallway and talk about the biology again, how far we were behind, because when he held it up, it became electrical. It was electrical. Yes. And so that... When he held the fiber optics in his hand, they became electrical, too. When the aliens, when the ship died, it was was a a biological entity, the ship. Yes. And when it died, the aliens died. They were propagated by the field of the... This is interesting because your dad was really into electromagnetics and in fact tied a lot of the events, a lot of the events of the crashes and such, especially in the desert in the southwest, to strange uh, electromagnetic phenomena that occurs. And and he also talked about, um, let's see, what was it? Um, There was a little laser that was supposedly used in cattle mutilations and such, but could definitely be used for some much more sophisticated human purposes that had the ability to cut and to to essentially cauterize and heal, right? Separate the cells without bleeding. Right. He says we're nowhere near that. Right. And this was... This was on a quantum basis, the, the, the laser which we have, we are not even close to. Right. And this, we're going to get into that biology story in just a moment because it's actually, it's, it's really important. The other thing that supposedly that I read in the book that I recall came out of it is, um, was uh, uh, fiber optics and also the fabric called Kevlar that became you that came to be used in bulletproof vests and such and also uh, different uses of transistors beyond anything that was being used at the time and then um yeah the integrated circuits i mean there's a lot of technology that started surfacing in the 1960s so going back which ones did the army get 
which they passed on to private industry such as Bell Labs. And which ones did the Air Force get? Well, the Air Force still, well, let me tell you something that no one knows about and any scientist of today that hears what I'm going to say now will say, oh, that's BS, okay? There were, he took to Senator John Glenn a wafer, uh, an integrated circuit, quite big, a waffle. Mm-hmm. Now, it's fluid application on a molecular basis. Anyone will tell you, you cannot compress fluids. This is hydraulics. What you put in comes out. Mm-hmm. True. So the Air Force has that, and they ran a car. They built a car with this fluid amplification, and it, Dad took the, the schematics and all to John Glenn and showed him four flashlight batteries, ran it for a year, constantly. So Interesting. This is technology that the Air Force still tells you. You want to know why the Air Force doesn't release this stuff? Why? Interesting. My father said for superiority over the other forces our forces. Now, they used to laugh at Russia. They would build an SST, they would build a, a, a space shuttle and such like that. These things never flew. The SST could only go 500 miles. They tried to get the fuel controls from Britain. Britain wouldn't give it to them. They used to laugh because they would take the ICs out of the sauna buoys. They would buy our toys. They, they you mean would- integrated circuits? Uh, yeah. When you say ICs, integrated circuits, okay. Integrated circuits out of, out of the, yeah. So, so they, the, the, all their, when the MIG defected to Japan, it was made out of steel. It had test tubes in it. Now, something I want to say that I would like people to look up and understand. Here's the, one of the main things my father said. He was afraid that unfair technology would be, would be taken by certain cor- alien technology would be taken by certain corporations and they would become world dominating now, okay yeah let's talk about that because particle beams here 200 years in advance of where it should be and what we're talking on now so they were very afraid of the moral and religious and such like that, that it would interrupt our societies, my dad and General Trudeau, before they put this out. Now, the Air Force has this stuff, and they will not put it out. And as far as Russia being a threat, forget it. They're on our side. They always have been. They have to unite with us to save themselves from China. And okay, let me, let me just ask one thing here, Philip. Um, the particle beam generator, a type of particle beam generator, wasn't that also part of what was um, uncovered and back-engineered? I mean, that's very significant. Any information on that? Okay, all right, let's continue on. No, I really don't. I okay. mean, I'm not no, no, no I, that's fine, just... Yeah, that's fine. We'll just um, we'll continue on because one of the things that one of the things your dad said that um, that in in uh, Paula's conversations with him in conversations with Colonel Corso in her book um, was that a few a few different things were going on in terms of the technology, and he kept saying we missed the boat, and he said I screwed up i missed the boat it was the biology and you've already alluded to this you you said it directly we did not pay attention to the biological entity itself that was part and parcel to the craft because as 
her book rendered it in one conversation with him that I read. He said they couldn't get these captured craft to work as long as they had them. They tried to get them to work, but they couldn't get them to work. And then they, they came to realize your dad understood this, that that craft was inextricably intertwined with the entity, the ET, you know, the biological entity who supposedly was cloned for space travel. That craft and it was one. It was of a mind and an energy that moved together. And it sounds like um, electromagnetics really was the basis of most of the technologies, including that little laser he tried to get going. He kept putting new bad, trying to put batteries in it. I mean, nothing was working except a low frequency sound, and boom, it lit up. So we didn't understand any of this. That it was hundreds of years beyond our understanding. Still is. Still is. Yet we have cell phones. You know. Yet we have a lot of this stuff that's come out of it. Stole and the same as Bigelow Enterprises. They all have these things, and they shouldn't have them. Which things? This cell phone shouldn't. Oh, I see. Alien technology. It doesn't belong here. And it was beyond. It, it came from other sources. But what I did want to tell you before we got started on this subject is that Russia. Two years before the wall came down, my father told me it was going to come down. They have been told to close by ET because they put dukes in space. Just wanted you to know that. Okay, now this is important. Now we're getting into the real crux of it. And this is information I've also gotten from other people. I've even gotten from the various uh, people know that I have some beings that uh, give pass through information, higher guidance. And 30 years ago, they were telling me the same exact thing before I knew about any of this, that really the presence of ETs became necessary at this point in history because of the uh, the introduction of uh, atomic bombs. Now, now let's go to your father, what people don't know. 1957, at the Trinity site, where the first atomic blast happened, your father uh, had an encounter near there himself. And let's talk about that and what the, what the being told him. Also about the little headband it was wearing that meant he saw many of them in the Pentagon later. Well, um, that's all true, but I had something I wanted to say to the, to the past there. We have ET's DNA, and you have to read mm-hmm. a lot. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the headband you wanted to know about and the... Well, and also the conversation and the message that this, this being relayed to your father um, here at this bomb site, which yeah. is why they started coming in. I never knew anything about this because my father had nine clearance of blood top, above top secret. I never knew anything until uh, he began writing the book in 92, okay? And uh, I was shocked just like everyone else was, you know. Um, the, 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 he used to tell me as a boy, Otis, when I lived in El Paso, by the way, I used to have similar incidences as he did. And we might be putting a book out. I don't know if it's worth it or not. But parallel my father and my and myself. It seems to be a, a parallel all the way up to my father's passing. Um, he, he 
he went to this cave and used to describe it as a very strange place when I was a boy. And he said there would be rabbits there and other things. That's all he said to me. Okay. And uh, then later on, I find out when, after everything is revealed by my father, that, that uh, he meets a uh, entity in there and he draws a little picture of it. And it has a little ruby. I mean, a little amethyst in the middle of the head, which I have later on. I had, I gave it away, but I had it uh, through an incident. And um, uh, he meets this, this creature and he pulls his gun and he says, what do you want? And the creature says something like nothing. And he says, well, uh, uh, he says, uh, are you friend or foe? And he says, neither. And then he says, well, what, what, what are you after? And he says, nothing. And uh, uh, he leaves my dad with a saying, a new world if you can take it. In other words, very indifferent whether we can achieve it or not. In other words, it, it was, we are not important, is the way I take it. And, um, of course, uh, with our egos and all, we think we are. But you can look back at the uh, pixel when Voyager 1 went out of space and Carl Sagan, you know, and you're a pixel on the screen. So maybe he's right. Maybe we're not so dang important. But that was one meeting. And then the second meeting, he was when he was taken to first nukes, uh, White Sands was completely filled with all of the range there. So he went up to Red Canyon and started his own launch facility. And uh, there's a lot of strangeness up there. But uh, in fact, he uh, had two men in black cub and he stripped them down naked and sent them into the desert. That's true. Yeah. That's what I, said. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. The technology part of it is um, hard to understand because there's so much more and, and there's so much more mentally uh, than there is the, the technology and the mental intertwine. Absolutely. Um, that mind matter interface on a quantum level. But I think it's important to just keep reiterating here the pres their presence uh, and the same thing with the, the, the guidance that I received over the last 30 years, and especially 30 years ago, said, look, because I was asking a lot of questions about why extraterrestrials were showing up, where they were showing up in the purpose. And, and I was told they show up uh, most often around military installations, uh, just kind of keeping an eye on things, and that this was all set off when we started blasting atomic weapons because it doesn't affect just us it affects it extends out into our solar system and that's not acceptable to be able to play with this energy is not acceptable well here's my father was very close friends with dr teller yes uh-huh yeah here's something dr teller told my father when there's an atomic explosion most of the energy is missing, most. And they were first afraid because the calculations show that it would spread and destroy the Earth. They yes. weren't 
sure that it would be self-contained. Or, or, and here's what takes place. The atomic explosion takes down through the center of the Earth and comes out the other side. It can cause magnetic interferences such as the Japanese triangle, so on and so on. Okay. Uh, the rest of it is in another dimension. Interesting. So that's what brings them. Not the Earth, not our solar system. They don't give a damn about it. They care what happens in their dimension. Interesting. Now, that's the first Dr. time I've heard that. Yeah. And also, the doctor, let me tell you a little quick, colorful story about that. Uh, Dr. Teller lived in Palm Beach giving a speech. My dad went down to see him, and the speech was already going on. People were asking questions. So my father just enters the back and stands in the hallway back there. Dr. Taylor is toward the blackboard writing things. So the guy calls on my dad, and he says, uh, Doctor, have you hardened the IC yet? And he turns around, and he says, I'll be damned. Colonel, what are you doing here? You know. <laughs> so the hardening of the IC was yeah. a big, big problem because the 100 megaton bomb they have caused the MPI. And also it would What's not an MPI mean? Electromagnetic pulse. Okay. And it was such a, so, so that was a number one priority in technology is to harden the integrated circuit. Right. We would not have satellites today if it wasn't for hardening the integrated circuit because the cosmic action chips away at it. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. And thank you for sharing that other information from Teller. And it makes sense, makes total sense that this would be experienced on a multidimensional level. And we, ha we keep forgetting that this Earth is an integrated part of a solar system. And we're an integrated part of the Earth and the solar system ourselves. And to upset it in that way is not acceptable. And M3. Pardon? And M theory, multi. Yes, abs absolutely. Wave. It, it, it's like a wave coming back, destroying, coming back. It influences everything. The atomic explosions influenced everything. Yes, and this is something also, let's get into this part of the story. Another part that's not well known is your father was in a position to brief, this is again during the time of Trudeau, um, his relationship with General Trudeau and the back engineering of this uh, captured alien technology. He was also briefing um, Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy at the time, and his brother, JFK, also had a very a strong interest in what was going on with this subject of UFOs, ETs, and foreign technology. This is something that you don't really hear about, about your father. Well, that's very true. My father was part of a shadow government. And the shadow government, I just showed Paul over there, some of the people who they were. There were 40 individuals, military and um, Congressional. And these congressionals controlled the technology. They all said the last to die could tell the story. Uh, General Samet died prior to my father. He was the very last. He felt he could tell the story. And mainly the book was released because he says, my three sons have a right to know the truth. And other young people, he says, they're not going to commit suicide and run in the street, and the, and the economy's not going to collapse, and religions are not going to collapse, and such like that. So he felt he could tell it. But I must tell you this our family has had so much problems over this. 
lawsuits, people, people stealing my father's notes, so on and so on and so on. That that's why I told you that this will probably be my last interview. We don't need those problems. I'm 76. I'm ready to to have an easy life. I've closed my business two years ago, building experimental aircraft. And uh, I'm enjoying life a little bit with my wife now. And this brings on a lot of headaches from different sources. There have been debunkers to my father, and they know nothing. Like my father used to say, were you there? You know, how can you comment on this? You know, you weren't there. You don't have the clearances. You don't know. And this is what's wrong with you, Alexi, to you, you, you apology today yeah. is, is that you have a bunch of people that want to be talking heads. They want ego. They have all these, uh, and they know nothing. There's only a few of military ex people that really understand the phenomena. And I said some 20 years ago, ET is from our future. And if you look at it more that way, because Anytime you have interdimensional travel, it is future and past travel. Period. Right, and one thing your dad said is when he was able to touch one of these craft, it kept phasing in and out physically. That was the second one where yeah. he had sands, New Mexico. He would fly there and back to Fort Bliss every day to come home. But when he was flying, he sees one landed in the desert. And he comes back in his staff car and it's fading in, fading out. He thought he was hallucinating, so he threw a tumbleweed under it and sure it was smashed. He got terribly afraid, backed up, almost wrecked the car. The thing turned up on its side like this and went through the time-dimensional donut. Yes, so here we're talking about multidimensionality. They can, they can phase in and out of our physical reality. And again, you just mentioned that he felt that ETs may be us from far into the future coming back. And also with, you know, a better world, if you can take it. We had already captured, we we're smart enough to re, re back engineer some of these technologies, not necessarily smart enough to know how we should morally and ethically use them. That has been the big so a dilemma, of course, with high technology on this planet, and we're going even further with it into AI. And your father also was very intrigued with time travel in general. And maybe you can talk to this a bit. Yeah, time travel has been my interest in the main. Uh, that's because it's a subparticle of the ship itself. Me building experimental aircraft naturally out of carbons. And by the way, I used one of my dad's uh, uh, knowledge of the craft, and I uh, invented a uh, de-icing for aircraft based on that technology. And I made $400,000. I turned, off, turned over the SEC and the patents to a Kelly Aerospace and uh, there's no use for de-icing on aircraft. That can be taken care of very easy. Yeah. STC. Oh, well, congratulations. Well, thank you. We're not using the technology properly because it's too much involved into making money for the corporations. There's, there's, other, tech, there's other sides to the technology. It's going up a tree. When scientists came to our house, all they wanted to know is, are we going out the right branch of the tree? 
They didn't want any technology and such like that. They just want to know, is our studies in the right direction? So father would, would tell them. Uh, he was very high in remote viewing, my father was, not to go any deeper than that. But um, he uh, had a had strangest man I ever knew, <laughs> you might say. He had tremendous abilities that are far beyond that of humans. In fact, um, Paolo used to, she, she wrote about this, say she would find him sometimes sitting and he wasn't there. He'd be in a far off place and it was though he was actually somewhere else at the time. And he was able to see psychically. And in fact, this is kind of a juicy little bit. He had a some kind of a connection with Jean Dixon, right? He was and, the writer for her for 30 years and she paid she paid him, and you guys have the proof of that uh, by way of royalty uh, receipts and so forth. Um, and Gene Dixon was, of course, the only one that was able to prophesize uh, President Kennedy's demise. Um, your father and her were in connection at that time, so which brings into question, may there have been intelligence around that, not just pure psychic ability, right? Yes. Yeah, and we don't need to go any further into that. Um, there's just so much more on that topic. So many people are writing about. We know I that. Understand that my father literally knew every important person in the world at that time. Yeah, intelligence. Okay, everybody. One of the cage, Victor Fidier, was a defector from Russia, and he told my KGB. He told my father, "You know more about us than anybody it, than we do," and when they would stand at attention, when Reagan would call, there would usually be questions about the enemies of the, of the United States. Yes, and he also knew all the project paper clippers, all the scientists, uh, really, really high-end technological scientists brought after, over from Germany after World War II. He was in charge of Operation Paperclip for Eisenhower. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. when my dad had these visit, visits with these uh, aliens, uh, Von Braun used to say to Dad, uh, "You're a lucky man." Yeah, it was, and Von Braun ended up having his own story in this, which he's no longer with us, so we're not going to go there. But the whole thing about um, the, okay, kind of coming uh, toward the end of the conversation, Edward Snowden wrote in uh, 1914. What was the name? Oh, The Art of Deception was the name of the paper. I believe it was 50 pages long. He wrote in The Art of Deception about the nature of the U.S. government disinformation campaign when it comes to these foreign technologies, UFOs, and ETs, that there's a deliberate uh, campaign to malign them. And some top, top people in the field went after your father and created big clouds of confusion. But we have since learned that these people, at least in part, uh, some of them had uh, intelligence connections. And intelligence was trying to keep this quiet. Why did they want this quiet? Why do they still, after all these years, go after people in this movement? Well, it's embarrassment because our... What are you going to tell people? They can come into our military base anytime we want and take it, take what they want and such. My father was in the Blair House next to the White House. That's where all the intelligence officers were at that time for Eisenhower. I remember going there as a kid, and I was very impressed because the guards had machine guns, and I thought that was really cool. So I calls my dad over one day. Dad said, and says, where are they from? And dad says, we don't know. 
He says, what's their agenda? What are they, what are they after? And that says, we don't know. He says, well, what do we know? He says, our airspace have been penetrated, so we have to treat them as foe. So Ike says, well, what's your recommendation, Corso? And he says, I recommend you and I are old soldiers, so let's just say nothing. NSA, FBI, everybody cut, jumps on this bag wedding. My father used to say the government was so inefficient it covers itself up. They came to the house to arrest my father after the book. And he says, you can't do that. I was the classifying officer. And I declassify it, and it's written in there. I can declassify it any time, civilian, such like that. So Dad says, I declassify it here and there. End of story. Who came to arrest him? I, I don't know if it was the FBI, CIA, or what. But this goes into Senator Thurman, too. He wrote the first thousand books have forward by Senator Thurman. But when he wrote the forward for my dad's book, he had not yet been in charge of the Armed Forces Committee, the head chairman of the Armed Forces Committee. My dad's in California making some films for posterity, and uh, his his administrative, this is um, um, Thurman's administrative assistant, calls me and says, we're going to sue your father, and la, 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 la. So I tell dad when he gets back, Senator Thurman fires his whole staff, administrative assistant and everybody. Dad says, I'm going to take the forward out, call Simon Schuster, take it out just for a tribute for General Thurman where it doesn't cause any more trouble. Okay. Yes. I think that's pretty interesting to know that my father had a very important person backing the book. Yes. So I think we've learned quite a bit about how your father was positioned in the world. He was privy to all types of sensitive information on a number of fronts, intelligence, military technology, and so forth. And one thing you told me <clears throat> off camera before we began this interview is your dad was a straight shooter. And when he spoke, he just, he spoke his truth. He was not a duplicitous person. He didn't have guile in that way. And that certainly appears to be so in Paula's book, Conversations with Your Father, right? Yes, my, my father never laid a hand on me. He was a very uh, religious person. He uh, never, anytime he would tell me something, he would not embellish on it. He wouldn't try to, to make it more than what it was. As a boy, as a young man, younger man, uh, 20 years ago when I was still building experimental aircraft, I'd come home all dirty. And my father, we built a house and he had his own little separate house out back. And I would sit on the floor because I was all dirty with fiberglass and, that, and he'd be writing. And I'd say, what did you write today? Well, an interesting thing that I still today cannot quite figure out is like a little boy, I asked him, hey, who's God anyway? And his answer is still provexing to me. He says, God is the intellect. And I find that very interesting because you can relate the intellect to many, many different things. That's interesting because there are schools of thought, even hermetic schools of thought, Sri Aurobindo, and others that say God is mind and mind permeates all. It's the creator of all things within our multidimensional universes. So, 
your dad was probably right on. It's just the way he chose to express it as intellect. And Einstein says in his last relativity that mind is over matter. So, absolutely. Uh, we absolutely know that to be true now through the uh, science of, of quantum mechanics, quantum physics. So I would like to ask you one final thing, and that is, and it's highly, it's just speculative on your part. If your father were here today and could see what happened with all these technologies, what happened with the way our world has gone in terms of its own kind of moral and ethical um, fabric and so forth, what might he say? What might be his observation or even a, a warning? Wow, what a question. Um, well, let me say this related to that. My father says the end comes from something we cannot even imagine. So um, that doesn't really answer the question. On his deathbed to me, he said two words. He says, he says, I'm sorry I wrote the book. We were involved in a lot of traumatic, he had to leave us with a lot of traumatic, three lawsuits, so on and so on and so on. People, uh, CIA at our heels, uh, vans pulling up in front of my hangar with satellite equipment, invited him home, you know, <laughs> for dinner. Mm -hmm. And what I say is this, there's a whole story after my father passed of people coming, even one of the presidents. And if it wasn't true, why would all this happen afterwards? And I can go on with an entire book of things that's happened all the way from the chief and the, the chief of the Hopi Indians, the witch doctor, the keeper of the stone, on through, through, through Dalai Lama, black projects officers tricking me into uh, coming and uh, sitting behind their desks, military. I mean, it's very, very deep. Very, and that's why I said to you, it'll probably be the last interview. We don't need this. But my father's legacy is the reason I'm with you and Paula. If it wasn't for Paula, I wouldn't be talking to anyone. Because my father loved her. She loved my father. She got him this strange trip, which you probably know about, to Italy. Uh, do you know about that? Yes. Yeah. And uh, that was, you can call it coincidence, but it went wham, 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 lined up, you know. So that's what my father wanted. He wanted to go back and see Uncle Rebonelli. Uh, uh, Steven Seagal called my father for a couple paranormal uh, situations that he had that he didn't understand, wanted to know about it. So father was involved not only in politics, but the big circle of everything. Well, and it seems I never met your father, um, but it seems that he and Paolo had the same thing in common. And that was coming from the heart, straight shooting. Now, your dad's a military man, so he saw things through the lens of his military background. So that's his lens on life. But as we see, his circle was much wider than the military. And they were both coming from the heart. They're both straight shooters. And um, I'm very grateful to Paolo for putting us together. And Paolo is a dear friend friend of mine and I like her because she's coming from the heart and a straight shooter and I very much appreciate that she was able to bring you to us here today and I, I feel very honored that you're willing to do this interview and if it's your last then I feel very lucky that we were able to catch you. Yeah, thank you. 
very thank much. you thank you and so i'm not going to send anyone to a web page this time that's done thank you so much philip very welcome thank you well everybody you've heard a little piece of history here that you're not likely to hear again and a lot of implications from some of the things that were shared here today if you go back and listen to it again and it's very interesting to listen to the backstory this is an inside person this isn't someone who's speculating or um, researching this is someone who was core to these issues um, and that is Lieutenant Colonel Philip Corso so again we thank his son Philip Corso jr and I thank you for joining us here today. And uh, once again, we'll see you next time here on ReginaMeredith.com.